Good morning, brothers and sisters. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We'll be continuing in the book of Mark chapter 6 this week. <clears throat> Mark chapter 6. Love to hear those Bible pages turning. We preach the Bible here at Living Hope, and so uh, bring your Bibles. We're going to be all in the Bible here at Living Hope. Mark chapter 6. And we've been seeing over and over again that Jesus has come into the world, and he's shaking things up, isn't he? He's healing the lame. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff, like touching lepers even, to make them whole and heal them and clean, make them clean. He's making blind men see and deaf men hear. He's casting out demons. He's forgiving the sins of those who trust in him. Blasphemy, they say. No one can forgive sins but God. That's exactly right. And he's doing it. And he's preaching the gospel to the poor. He's not hanging out with the Pharisees and the leaders of the day. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and preaching the gospel to the poor. He's getting all kinds of criticism for this, isn't he? They call him a drunkard and a wine-bibber, and he's hanging out with harlots, and who is this man? They don't like it at all. He's shattering all the self-righteous religious beliefs of the day. And the crowds are all into it. He's like a rock star. You know, everywhere he goes, there's crowds pressing in on him everywhere. So much so that they can't even eat a meal. We see that often in Mark. He mentions that. The crowds are pressing in. They're coming and they're going. So much so that the, the disciples and Jesus, they get no rest. They, they don't even have time to eat. Because Jesus, the word about Jesus has gotten out and the crowds are coming. They're there. Constantly. <clears throat> and now we continue in chapter 6, and we saw in the beginning of chapter 6 how Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. He goes back to his hometown, and you'd think the hometown boy would be the hero. You know, put up the banner, Jesus is here, you know, we do that for war, you know, heroes and stuff like that. We put up the banners, we have parades, all these things to honor people, right, from the hometown. But that's not how the hometown crew saw Jesus at all. In fact, uh, they rejected him. His family, his, his, even his family thought he was crazy, thought he was mad. They had to go get him to try to, you know, talk some sense into him. They thought he had lost it in so many ways, and so they were trying to straighten him out. And the hometown uh, religious leaders, they didn't appreciate him. They tried to take him out to the edge of town and throw him off a cliff. <clears throat> so we saw in, early in chapter 6, you know, he was rejected at Nazareth by his family and the, the people of the town. Then we saw how he sends his disciples out to preach, and now they're in verse 30 of chapter, uh, chapter 6. In verse 30, they return to Jesus. Actually, it's chapter 5. No, yeah, chapter 30. This is a long chapter. And in, chapter, in verse 30, they return to Jesus, and they report all that they had done and taught. So he sends his disciples out. They come back and report all that they have done, all that they have taught. And now in the remainder of chapter 6, there's three seemingly separate accounts that can easily stand on their own if you look at them as individual stories or events. We see Jesus feeding the 5,000. We see Jesus walking on water. And then we see him healing the sick. 
Each one of these can, can stand on their own. And we will look at all of these today. We're going to look at them individually. And then I want us to see them as a whole. They are connected with each other in a way that demonstrates that Jesus as God and Messiah to readers. Mark keeps them together in a unit, and so does Matthew. And so we can pick up on those types of patterns like that. When we see a pattern like that, something held together like that in a unit, in multiple Gospels, they're, they're kept together for a reason. And so we'll look at them individually, and then we'll see them as a whole. And I want you to see that this unit of, of stories, this unit of text, is pointing to Jesus as God and Messiah. That's what it's all about. Yes, he does feed the 5,000. Yes, he walks on water. Yes, he heals the sick. But the text, the author wants us to see Jesus is God. He is Messiah. And there's no doubt about it. That's what Mark wants us to see here today. And so we'll see echoes of the Old Testament scripture in these stories, in these texts, and we'll see how they're all connected. So let's first look at uh, chapter 6, verse 30. <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 30. I'll read this, and then we'll walk through it together. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Jesus said, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. <clears throat> now many saw them, come, saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy, some, buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give, them, give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the, on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So let's pause here and take a look at this. Jesus sees how exhausted his disciples are and how the crowds keep coming and going. It's so bad, we see in the text, they, they don't even have a moment to eat anything. They're probably exhausted. And so he gathers the disciples into their boat to get away and get some rest. <clears throat> but it doesn't work. He can't get away. He can't get any rest. The crowd sees them going and actually run ahead of them. So they get no rest. The only rest they get is the rest they got while they were in the boat ride. <laughs> That's it. 
Because as soon as they get to the, 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 where they're going, the crowds are right there again. There's no getting away. <clears throat> and so there's exhaustion physically from ministering to the crowds. And if you look at this account in Matthew 14, there's also emotional, probably, exhaustion going on. Because they had just heard that John the Baptist was dead. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. And so there's a closeness there. And so we don't know this from the text, but it's reasonable to say that there is emotional sadness going on here among some of them, if not even Jesus himself, perhaps. His cousin has been murdered. And so in the midst of all this, they're trying to get away. They're trying to get away just to have some peace and some quiet and some rest. And so you have all the physical stress of the crowds. You have all the emotional stress of the news of John the Baptist being killed. And this is a time when many of us would just break down. We'd just, like, we would break down. We couldn't handle this. Now, what does Jesus do? You know, he could rightfully, when he gets to the other side, they're all there again. They're pressing in on him again. It would be perfectly reasonable for Jesus to be annoyed with these people. Like, come on, guys, you know, I just took care of you back here, and I'm trying to get away. Can you give me a break, please? <laughs> It'd be perfectly reasonable, right? But what does he do? <clears throat> what does he do? Instead of sending them away, he spends more time with them, ministering to their needs and teaching them. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. He spends more time with them. He doesn't get annoyed with them. He doesn't send them away. He just meets their needs right where they are. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm that guy, right? I'm that guy that wants more and more and more all the time. Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with that. <laughs> Constantly. And thankfully, he's a better heavenly father than I'm an earthly father, because sometimes I get annoyed. <laughs> Don't we get annoyed as parents sometimes? Like, can you please give me some time to myself? <laughs> please, some quiet for just a little bit? <clears throat> but here, Jesus, he's not annoyed by it at all. He meets their needs right where they are. Then it starts to get late. So that now they're into the day, long into the day. It's getting late. And his disciples want to send everyone away so that they can go get themselves some food. Like, we're not feeding all these people. <laughs> this is a desolate place, right? That's what they say. Send them away to buy themselves something to eat, Jesus. Get rid of these people. We don't have food for them. And it's late, and there's no food around here. All the grocery stores are closed. <laughs> we're out in the wilderness here. And they're going to have to go into the villages and take care of themselves, what the disciples say. <clears throat> Send them away to buy themselves something to eat. And then Jesus, he drops the bomb on them. What does he tell them? He drops a bomb right on them. You give them something to eat, he says. Now, can you imagine, just read the face of the disciples in this situation. I mean, I wish I could be there just to see it. Because I probably would have had the same reaction. Like, man, Jesus, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Us give them something to eat. And this is the earthly reaction the disciples have, right? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, what's amazing to me <coughs> is the disciples have seen all Jesus' miracles up to this point, right? It's not like he hasn't done any miracles. He's done plenty. Yet they still haven't, they still don't get it. 
right? They're still having trouble. They get in a situation like this, and you'd think it'd be like, uh, oh, okay, Jesus, why don't you do one of those miracle things you do and just, like, you know, make some food for everybody, you know? You can do that. We've seen you do stuff like that before, Jesus. Now's a great opportunity, Jesus. Show them your stuff, Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not how they respond. No, they don't respond that way at all. They still are, they're still very carnal. They're still very fleshly. They're still very earthly-minded. We don't have enough food, Jesus. We don't have enough money. <clears throat> when he says, you give them something to eat, they start complaining. They don't have enough money to buy the food. 200 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. So that's like, you know, almost a year's worth of wages to buy these people food. Like, Jesus, we can't, we can't do that. <clears throat> we don't have the money for that, Jesus. So they start complaining. So Jesus has them gather up the little bit of food that's on hand, five loaves of bread and two fish. Many of us are familiar with this story. <clears throat> Lots of children's songs about this one. Five loaves and two fish. And he miraculously feeds nearly 10,000 people with that little amount of food. And they are all satisfied, it says. So they're like pushing back from the table like, oh, man, that was the best bread I ever ate. I am so full. And that fish, that was so good. So good. Oh, I'm so full. I mean, so it wasn't like they just had an appetizer just to tide them over. They were full. They were satisfied by the amount of food that they got. And then there was food to spare, right? We read in the account, 12 full baskets left over. So they got leftovers. Twelve full baskets full. Five thousand men were counted, and this doesn't include the women and the children, so you can speculate there's probably around 10,000 plus people here. Truly amazing. And so, you know, you can read this on the surface and just think, you know, if Jesus can meet a need like that in a moment's time, just like that, why is it so hard for us to trust him with our needs? Why is that so hard for us? We read these accounts over and over again in God's word. And, and Jesus even tells us, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. You know, God knows we need these things. And he cares. He's going to take care of us. So don't worry about the things that we're going to eat or what we're going to eat. God feeds the birds of the air, right? Don't worry about what you're going to wear. God knows you need all these things, and he will provide for our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We know that from his word. So why is it so hard for us to trust him? In those times of doubt, in those times of need, when we get all stressed out, like the disciples were stressed out, where are we going to get 200 denarii's, you know, money worth of food to feed all these people? Ah! <laughs> and we do that too, don't we? You know, when some of the bills start piling up, like, oh, where are we going to get the money to pay all these bills? Ah! Let's cry out to God and let's trust in him and seek his face. Turn from our sins, turn to him, walk with him, trust in him. He's going to direct our paths, he's going to meet our needs. We can trust him, we can trust him to take care of all of our needs. <clears throat> we can have faith that he will provide. 
Now, this passage has echoes from the Old Testament. We see echoes here in the Old Testament of the prophet Moses and the prophet Ezekiel here. Echoes that show us who Jesus really is. And I, I think that's why sometimes we have trouble trusting him. Because we sometimes put aside in our minds or in our emotions who Jesus really is. Sometimes, you know, what, we don't even mean to do this probably, but sometimes in our minds and in our hearts we think, well, he, we, we relegate him to the role of, oh, he's a wise teacher. Or he was this miracle worker who did those things when he physically walked the earth. We sometimes forget in our hearts and minds, or we put it aside, that he is God. And he's in control. And he's got it. Whatever problems we may be facing, Jesus has got it. He's right there. And these, these echoes from the Old Testament, they, they do this, they point us that, to the fact that Jesus is more than just a prophet or a miracle worker. He is God. So Jesus feeding this mass of people in this desolate place is a similar picture to God providing the manna to the Israelites during the exodus from Egypt. You remember that Moses and the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness. They were in a desolate place, a wilderness place. And when we read those words, it, we're not talking about the wilderness like we have here. It's not trees and, you know, and, and green. No, the wilderness there is like desert. It's desolate. It's like a desert. That's the wilderness they're talking about. Not like the wilderness we have here. And so they're in this desolate place, the Israelites. They have nothing to eat, and they cry out to God. And what does God do? In the midst of that desolate place, he provides for them manna, which in the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word means, what is it? <laughs> they didn't even know what it was. They couldn't even describe it other than saying, what is it? That's, that's what it is. It's manna. It's what is it? And they could use it to make bread. And so in the wilderness, God provides what they need to make bread. He provides for them bread in the wilderness just what they need exactly when they needed it. So we see a picture of Jesus as he takes the bread and he breaks it and he starts passing it out. You can almost see the image of, okay, here's God providing food in the desolate place right when they need it. Instead of sending them away to buy food for themselves, which he could have easily done, right? He could have easily done that. And everyone would have thought it would be reasonable if he had done that. And so we see in this, in this image here the, the reflection of God and Moses and Israel in the wilderness. We see images of that and echoes of that. And we also see echoes from the prophet Ezekiel here. The prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, and I think this one this one's the one I really want to key in on. Ezekiel 34 says this, <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me and said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Now, he's, when he says shepherds, he's talking about the religious leaders, the priests, the, one, the religious leaders of Israel. They were supposed to be leading Israel spiritually. And so he says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. And so that's the indictment against the religious leaders. And we've seen that pattern in the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We've seen that pattern in them. They're not feeding the sheep. The sheep are the people. So this is an image here. The shepherds are the religious leaders. The people are the sheep. And the shepherds are be caring for the people, loving them, helping them, teaching them God's word. And instead, they're eating everything for themselves. They're gluttons, taking all the good for themselves, not caring for the sheep. And so the sheep have no shepherd to watch over them, and they are scattered, is the image here. And so that's the indictment against the leaders of that time. And we've seen that in Jesus' time. And then and it continues on. God says, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. So here's what, here we have the image of just what Jesus is doing. Jesus is living what we're about to read. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so the true shepherd in Ezekiel's prophecy, whose identity is revealed through his act of feeding the sheep, is the Lord God himself. And Jesus is living that in this account of feeding the 5,000. He is demonstrating with his actions the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy right here. So we can see when Mark tells us that Jesus sees the people as sheep without a shepherd and that Jesus then makes them sit down on the green grass and feeds them, that Jesus is acting as the Lord God. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And the early readers of Mark would have picked up on that because the language used in both accounts is very similar in the Greek. Very similar. The word usage, the phrase usage is very similar. And they would see, oh, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is, he is the one. Jesus is God. He is the good shepherd. 
Now, this picture of Jesus as God is confirmed again in our next section of text, where Jesus walks on the sea. Look at Mark 6, 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was left alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. And so now here we see another amazing miracle, don't we? After 5,000... 10,000 plus are fed and happy. Everybody's fed and happy here. They're satisfied. Jesus sends off the disciples to Bethsaida, sends them in the boat ahead of him, so he can have some time to pray. Now, take note of that. Even Jesus made time to find a quiet place to pray. Now, if Jesus makes time to find a quiet place to pray, how much more do we need to make time to find a quiet place to pray? We desperately need that. If you don't have in your daily routine at some point in the day to find a quiet time to just rest and pray and read God's word, you need to do that. You definitely need to do that. And I'm not talking like five minutes either. I mean, you need like maybe 15, 30 minutes. You really need that. So change your schedule and make time to find a quiet place to pray and read your Bible. Even Jesus did that, and so should we. Now notice here, he prayed most of the night. He's praying most of the night. Then around 3 a.m., he starts his journey to meet the disciples. From the fourth watch of the night, that's around 3 a.m., 3 to 6 a.m. So he's been up all night praying, and now he starts his journey to go out and meet the disciples at 3 in the morning. Now, he's literally walking on the water. There's no boat, no jet ski, <laughs> nothing like that, no paddleboard, nope. Jesus is walking on the water literally, not figuratively, he is walking on it. And so once again, he's showing he has power over all creation. We saw an account earlier in Mark 4, I believe it was, where, you know, the wind in, he was in the boat with the disciples and the wind and the waves were going crazy. He was asleep and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die, wake up. And he wakes up, and he's like, peace be still, and everything just calms down. So again, we have this, this image, you know, the, the wind's contrary, the disciples are having trouble, Jesus just walking along on the water, cool as could be, not worried about a thing. He's walking on the water. So he's showing he has power over all creation. He created the oceans, and he can bend creation and physically walk on the ocean that he created. That's awesome, man. That's truly awesome. Now, there's several things to notice about this account of, of Mark here. First, he meant to pass them by. Now, that's, that's weird. <laughs> Don't you think that's weird? I read texts like this, I'm like, now why would he pass them by? 
they're his disciples. They're, they're straining at the oars, and they're having trouble, and he's just going to walk by? Why is that there? Why would Mark say that? And, and why would Jesus do that? He meant to pass them by. And then as he's walking, they're terrified, thinking he's a ghost. So they see him out there. He's walking close enough to them. They see him, and they, they think he's some kind of spirit or a phantom or a ghost, we would, we would say. <clears throat> and so they're terrified. They're crying out now. So not only do they have the wind blowing against them, and they can't row, but then they see this ghost out here, and they're like, ah, this is just terrible. I mean, these guys are really freaked out. This is a bad situation. And what does Jesus say in the midst of all of it? I love it. He, he says, as he always does, oh, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And, and that's what Jesus tells us. You know, in those moments where we're freaking out inside, our faith is like nothing, and we're anxious and worried and stressed, and we cry out to God, help me, Jesus, help me. He says, oh, take heart. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm going to help you. Just look to me. And then he gets in the boat with them. So they, he gets in the boat with them, and look, immediately everything is all right. Isn't that how it is in our lives too, right? As soon as our, you know, our faith awakens and we trust in the Lord, and it's like, ah, oh, yes, I... I trust you, God. And then, you know, he makes it all right. He gives us peace in our hearts in the midst of the storm. He gets in the boat and everything's all right. And Mark ends this in a very interesting way, too. He says they're all astounded, but still don't fully understand that this is God in the boat with them. They just still don't get it. They didn't understand about the loaves. They just don't, they still don't get it. God is in the boat with them. They, they don't fully understand that yet. Now, in this story, like the feeding of the 5,000, Mark is helping us see that Jesus is God and that we can trust him. If you come away with nothing else from this sermon, I want you to know that Jesus is God and you can trust him. That is the central point of these texts. He is God and you can trust him. And it seems that Mark is using language and phrases from the book of Job here in chapter 9 to help us see that. In Job chapter 9, Job is praising God and declaring the mighty works of the Lord. I'm going to read it to you. And notice the similarity in, in some of the language here. Job chapter 9, starting at verse 2, says, How can man be right, be right before God? If one wished to contend with God, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has, hardened, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. He who removes mountains, and they not know it. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. God walks on the waves of the sea. Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes me by and I see him not. 
He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Now, in the Greek Septuagint, you might see in some of your notes in your Bible, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. It's abbreviated with the initials LXX. So when you see the LXX in some of these uh, theological works that you're reading, that's the Greek Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The words and phrases in that Greek Old Testament translation are the same in description of God as the one who walks on the waves as the sea of the sea and in the passing by. It's the same words and phrases. And so early readers of Mark would pick up on that and say, Jesus is living out what Job described in Job 9. They're the same words and phrases. And so they would pick up on that. Jesus is living out the description of God in Job chapter 9. And also this, this phrase for passing by, it's used in Exodus chapter 33 of God passing by Moses to reveal his glory. Exodus 33 says this, Moses said, please show me your glory. So Moses call it crying out to God, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for, no, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, same word in the Greek used here, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so the early readers of Mark would have seen this and remembered the words of Job and of Moses. And they would be cluing in that, oh, Jesus is God. He is the God of the scriptures. He is Messiah that the scriptures told about. And then these words that Jesus says, he says, take heart, it is I. The words from here for it is I are the same words ascribed to the name of the Lord, I am. These are the words spoken to Moses at the burning bush when the Lord told Moses his name was I am who I am. These are the same words that get Jesus killed when the council of religious leaders ask him if he is the Christ and he answers, I am. It is I. It's the same words in the Greek. So he's telling them, take heart. I am God. Don't be afraid. Just trust in me. Don't be afraid. And he's telling us that today. Trust in me. I am God. When the difficulties and storms of life hit us, we're so much like these disciples. And we painfully push forward and get stressed out and worry. And our hearts tend to harden against God sometimes. God, why'd you let this happen to me? And we strain and stress. And meanwhile, Jesus, our great God and Savior, is right with us, waiting for us to look to him and rest in him, knowing that he is God and he's got it all under control. And so take heart, brothers and sisters. Jesus is God. We can trust in him. He cares for you, and he cares for me. 
And so finally we see here in Mark 6, 53. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gesineret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so here we see again Jesus acting as the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. Remember those words? He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's going to them. He's meeting their needs right where they are. And I tell you, as I was reading this, you know, I was thinking, I have so many friends and family right now suffering with health issues. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, Jesus, if you could just show up like right here and my dad could touch the fringe of your garment because he's having some real bad issues with his back. And my, you know, my, one of my best friends has heart issues and my grandmother is getting a broken you know, hip. And, and the list goes on and on. Like our prayer time at night before we go to bed, we pray for everyone. It's like an organ recital. <laughs> pray for, for you know, someone's heart and their liver and their, you know, someone's kidneys are problems. And it's like an organ recital. So many people need healing, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, if you could just be right here, and they could touch the fringe of your garment and be made well, how amazing would that be? How amazing would that be? And so you can see the response of the crowd. They're like gathering people from everywhere. Oh, go to Jesus. Oh, you're sick? Go to Jesus. You need healing? Go to Jesus. He just went to Gethsemane. Get down there as soon as you can. I'm sure that's what was being said. And Jesus heals them. Because he is God. He's the good shepherd, right? That's what this is all about. He is the good shepherd. And so all of our passages today, they act as a unit that points us to Jesus as God. He is God and he can provide for all of our needs, our food, our clothes, all of our needs. Now, maybe not our wants. (laughs) If he gave us all our wants, we'd be really messed up people. (laughs) But But he does provide for our needs. You can trust him. He has power over all creation. He is God. You can trust him. And he is God. He seeks the lost. He brings back the strayed. He binds up the injured, and he strengthens the weak. And so, brothers and sisters, let's seek him with all of our hearts. Hunger and thirst in our souls for him today. And find rest for our souls in Jesus.